When you stop and think about how our world is changing, how America is changing, you have to wonder, is it a positive or a negative change? It is, of course, a matter of opinion. And with over 330 million Americans, there are at least that many opinions. So it is up to you to decide which opinion appeals to you. Some media outlets will try to shape your opinion with propaganda and even outright lies or fake news. This is the Truth Hurts program, where I give you what I believe is the most important opinion of all, mine. My name is Steve Z. so sit back and relax and enjoy listening. You might even learn something. And through your feedback, I too might learn something. Worry not, boys and girls, this is the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z, and I have not gone all soft and social touchy-feely. We're going to speak a little bit about politics this morning, right after this. He's saying what you know you are thinking, only with a cool DJ voice. Steve Z, telling it like it is. It is the Friday the 13th of November 2020 mid-morning edition of the Truth Hurts program, and I'm your host, Steve Z. I got a call from a good friend of mine who listened to the podcast, and he said, Steve, you need to put a few short pauses for breathing into your program. I know from speaking to you that you're very animated and you get very involved in your conversation, but we, the listeners, need a little bit of time to digest what it is you're saying so a little dead air, less than a second or two, is not going to kill you. I agree. I've gone back and listened to a few of the productions, and it sounds like I'm just rushing everything together and not trying to put a break in anywhere. Yeah, start to sound like Joe Biden trying to give an impromptu speech. The Gateway Pundit has published the following. Boom, Trump tweets, report. Dominion deleted 2.7 million Trump votes nationwide. Data analysis finds 221,000 Pennsylvania votes switched from President Trump to Biden. That's what the actual tweet from Donald Trump says, dated November 12th, yesterday. Jim Hoft a conservative political reporter, published this yesterday at 10.49 a.m. Eastern Time, and it is quite telling, if true. I'll repeat the tweet again from Donald J. Trump, at Real Donald Trump. Quote, report, colon, Dominion deleted 2.7 million Trump votes nationwide. Data analysis finds 221,000 Pennsylvania votes switched from President Trump to Biden, 941,000 Trump votes deleted. States using Dominion voting systems switched 435,000 votes from Trump to Biden. Now that's the tweet at Real Donald Trump. It's trending this morning. We'll We'll just have to see how the facts play out in this particular issue. But if true, 2.7 million votes could just switch this election, don't you think? And there's some messiness afoot 
according to, again, the Gateway Pundit, reporter Christina Layla wrote yesterday that the Republican Party failed to send someone to the logic and accuracy test of the equipment in Arizona, but the Democrat Party did not. Earlier this week, Arizona Republican State Representative Kelly Townsend called on Maricopa County GOP Chairwoman Ray Chomenke to step down, along with her first vice chair, because they failed to show up to certify the Dominion voting machines. Representative Townsend tweeted, I just found out that Maricopa County GOP Chairman Ray Chomenke failed to show up to certify the Dominion machines. For this reason, I call for her resignation along with her first vice chair. News station ABC 15 reported the Maricopa County Republican chair has stepped down from her post after it was publicly revealed that she was a no-show at voting machine tests in October. Ray Chomenke resigned Tuesday night, one week after Election Day, according to multiple sources within the Republican Party. Her decision came just hours after a state legislator posted to Twitter saying she did not attend the Maricopa County's logic and accuracy test back on October 6th. That test is a public event to demonstrate how voting machines work and to verify they properly count ballots. Members of the Secretary of State's office, as well as representatives of political parties, are also invited to attend. Those Dominion machines were used in 33 states, including Arizona, Michigan, Georgia, and others. And Mark Brown, chairman of the board of Smartmantics, who makes the machines, also happens to serve on George Soros's Open Societies Foundation board. Coincidence? I think not. President Trump dropped that bombshell tweet about the Dominion voting machines on Thursday. I read it to you earlier. I'm not going to go through it again. But perhaps the Maricopa County chairwoman is part of a bigger picture that we may never have developed. And because Trump derangement syndrome does not just occur in poor sheeple and occurs in the highest levels of government, Arizona's Secretary of State, you know, the person in charge of certifying election results, yes, that wonderful fine pillar of public service called Trump supporters neo-Nazis. Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs previously called Trump supporters neo-Nazis, and she is in charge of certifying Arizona's election results. In a 2017 tweet, Hobbs said, quote, President Trump has made it abundantly clear he's more interested in pandering to his neo-Nazi base than being POTUS for all Americans. For those of you who don't know what a POTUS is, it's President of the United States. And there's a copy of her tweet, at Katie Hobbs, on Twitter, dated 8.15 of 2017 at 3.52 p.m. from her iPhone. It would be interesting to know if that was a personal iPhone or one issued by the state. 
If you recall, Fox News called Arizona for Joe Biden on election night while people were still standing in line to vote. The race in Arizona is still very tight. will likely go to a recount. Trump's campaign actually filed a lawsuit in Arizona this week demanding a hand count of all the ballots it says were incorrectly counted. I'm telling you folks, there's more here than meets the eye. This is the Truth Hurts program. We'll be right back. The best part of waking up is not a cup of coffee. It is actually a hot steaming cup of the truth. So much truth, it hurts. I had a spirited discussion yesterday afternoon with a close family member who said that, quote, people like Sean Hannity should be taken off the air because they portray themselves as news professionals when they're really just spin doctors and opinion peddlers. Let me make this clear. Sean Hannity has never said he is the news. It's an opinion program, just like Glenn Beck, you know, information and enlightenment. Well, CNN's Jake Tapper became instantly triggered by a comment that CNN is not a news organization. (laughs) The shoe is on the other foot. Though much is unsettled from last week's presidential election, one thing that has been settled in the aftermath, beyond the shadow of a doubt, is the fact that CNN is not a news organization, but it is an opinion-peddling organization. As we've noted previously, the lead host, Jake Tapper, has endorsed the idea of an enemies list of sorts, and it targets Trump officials and -and rank-and-file Trump supporters like you and like me alike for shunning and for ostracization from polite society. He and his colleagues, Anderson Cooper and Jim Acosta, have taken to calling President Trump, quote, sore loser and obese turtle. Don Lemon, the anchor, has boasted about dropping his Trump-supporting friends because they simply can't handle his political brilliance or something to that effect. Chief media correspondent Brian Stetler is chomping at the bit over the possibility that, quote, normal relations, unquote, between the White House and the press corps would resume if Biden and Harris take office. And Mr. Tough Guy Chris Cuomo is even issuing veiled physical threats to Republicans. Now, there are many more examples along those lines, and I think those alone, however, prove the point. But the examples keep adding up, as Real Clear Politics co-founder and President Tom Bevan pointed out in a recent retweet of a tweet, which noted that CNN was keeping a list of its own Republican senators who have failed to congratulate Gropey Joe when Gropey Joe claimed victory, even as the Trump campaign is mounting lawsuits alleging mail-in ballot fraud and has evidence of political poll workers violating state election laws in several states. That, along with the Dominion voting machine scandal that is currently being investigated, proves that this election is not over. Now, as you might predict, according to Red State, this triggered CNN's super-sensitive-to-criticism anchor Jake Tapper, who proceeded to take a cheap shot at Bevan, over an issue that Real Clear Politics had corrected and apologized over, which Tapper lied about in this tweet and subsequent retweets. At Jake Tapper on Twitter, 
Tom's upset because we've pointed out that he published libelous smears of an active duty Green Beret that he had to delete and of Trump administration official Victoria Coates. But instead of apologizing and being better, he attacks. It's a shame because a lot of RCP is great. Speaking of real clear politics. It was then that Bevan dropped receipt after receipt on Tapper, backing up his claims on how CNN was not a news organization and throwing in some bonus receipts that focused specifically on Tapper's starring role in the network's dramatic decline. From at Tom Bevan RCP, just this week, Jake Tapper has threatened Trump supporters, tweeted by Felicia at White House Press Secretary, nodded as Clyburn said Putin was dictating U.S. fortunes, plus four years of hyping the Russia hoax, getting caught meddling in an election, and lying about it. Maybe just take a seat. Tapper then continued to lie about Bevan and Real Clear Politics by saying, Tom, you can lie about me all you want, but just own up to the fact that you smeared an active-duty Green Beret as well as a Trump administration official, Victoria Coates. They deserve public apologies. Changing the subject doesn't hide or change those ugly facts. Tapper also tweeted, Veterans Day BTW would be a really appropriate time for Tom to apologize publicly and full-throatedly for RCP smearing an active-duty Green Beret. All it takes is a modicum of decency and maturity. Bevan then proceeded to drop more receipts of tweets, this time about his website and how, contrary to what Tapper lied about, Real Clear Politics had updated the piece in question and had actually apologized three months ago. On November 11th, Tom Bevan RCP tweeted, Three months ago, we ran an op-ed by Mercedes Schlapp that misstated a claim about Brianna Keeler's husband. We corrected it and ran a separate note which included an apology. You know all this, but still lie about it. Even worse, you do it on Veterans Day. For those who are interested, I have a link to that particular note, editor's note on Mercedes Schlapp's comment. Tapper did not respond and had already moved on by that point, presumably because he realized he'd just been nuked into oblivion. While Jake Tapper has been known to go off the deep end quite a bit prior to the election, his post-election transformation into a complete lapdog for the Biden-Harris campaign has been quite notably remarkable. Tom Bevan was right on the money in his claims about both Tapper and the network, that proclaims to operate on a facts-first basis. It's been documented extensively in Red State. Perhaps what angered Jake Tapper so much was not the fact that the comment was made. After all, many people say that about CNN on a daily basis, including yours truly, and many of my colleagues at Red State and other conservative-leaning organizations but it came from someone who is well-respected in the media polling industries, and that hit a little too close to the mark for good old Jake Tapper's comfort. As much as it pains me to do so, I want to speak for a moment about Democrat Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Horseface-Cortez of New York, because it is she who has made a fair amount of news in the last 10 days 
since the election that remains a fiasco on the presidential level, but it also sent a loud and clear message to left-wing House Democrats. The American people do not support your defund the police nonsense, the defense of so-called peaceful protests, and they sure as hell don't want anything to do with your repackaged socialism. As I've said all along, in the immediate aftermath of the beatdown delivered to House Democrats, in which Republicans netted at least six seats and might even pick up more, so-called centrist Democrats have lashed out at far-left factions of their caucus, principally led by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her fellow members of the squad, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. And yet the squad is blaming the, quote, sitting duck centrists for their losses. According to Red State, on the Saturday after the election, the former bartender, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, told the New York Slimes that she was not only frustrated with House Democrats, but that she might leave politics in an effort to pick up her socialist marbles and go home if she doesn't get her way. In addition, AOC has not only been making demands about who she believes should be included in Biden's cabinet if he ultimately becomes president, but who should not be. And she has made it perfectly clear that she does not want former Chicago mayor and Obama lackey Rahm Emanuel in Biden's cabinet. On Thursday, her naively envisioned socialist utopia seemed to continue to crash down around her. She was asked by a constituent in a Zoom call why House Democrats were shellacked, a term made famous by Barack Obama after the Democrats suffered a beatdown in the 2014 midterms by the Republicans. As luck would have it, as reported by the Daily Wire, a GOP researcher named Tommy Pigott, P-I-G-O-T, obtained a video of the exchange and he promptly posted it to Twitter. In the video, our intrepid math wizard believes House Democrats have lost their majority. One of the bartender's constituents asked, why did we lose so many seats and what needs to be done to get them back next term? To which Einstein replied, I'm in your district in East Elmhurst, and I have a general question about the House. And why did we lose so many seats? And what needs to be done to get them back next term? So, you know, of course, um, the loss of the House majority is just extraordinarily upsetting to all of us. Um, it's upsetting to all of us who, who are invested in having a Democratic majority uh, so that we can expand health care, so that we can raise wages, so that we can um, protect working people. Um, and it's also personally very difficult um, because to lose these people, you know, many of them are my colleagues and I'm proud to call many of them my friends. And uh, the idea that they may not be returning next term is very, or that they aren't uh, returning next term is extremely difficult on both just a personal and a policy and a political level. Now, Ms. Cortez said that many of these people are her colleagues. Newsflash, everyone in the 435-member House of Representatives Chamber of Congress are your 
colleagues. Get a clue, crack a book, will you? Perhaps Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's post-election hangover won't last. Ocasio-Cortez predicted during a segment with Jake Tapper on CNN that young people would vote for Biden, not because he's their favorite person, but because he would, she said in a word, be much easier to manipulate. What young Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did not count on as she was plotting all that manipulating of Joe was voters rising up in mass and saying no to her socialist agenda. Math wizard or not, votes is votes. In another example of post-election so-called harmony, Jeff Charles wrote in Red State an article titled, This is how the left is planning to destroy Trump if he leaves office. President Trump is currently facing multiple investigations looking into his possible fraud and his financial business dealings as a private citizen, both as an individual and through his company. Among those leading the charge is Representative Eric Swalewell, a Democrat from California, whose own 2016 embarrassing presidential campaign crashed and burned before it ever even got off the ground. Told you folks, there is a true Trump derangement syndrome out there. They don't want to just have this guy not get reelected. They tried to impeach him. They tried to get him out of office through a coup attempt. And now they're actively seeking to prosecute him if he leaves office or when he leaves office. It's a shame. It's an embarrassment. And it's the truth. We'll be right back. I want to thank uh, Mike Miller for his contribution to that piece. Mike Miller, a reporter for Red State, a conservative-leaning think tank organization. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts program. As I said at the top of the program, today is Friday the 13th, a very superstitious day for many, many people. For me, my middle child, my son Chris, was born on a Friday the 13th of December. And so 13 Friday is never really anything bad for me. And you all know I'm not a big fan of CNN, but CNN did a piece on Friday the 13th, the history of it, how it came to be, and why it is considered unlucky. America Gherkin actually did a decent job of putting this together. At least once a year, the calendar dates align to give us a Friday the 13th. Generally speaking, airline ticket prices tend to dip when we're not in a pandemic on Friday the 13th because superstitious people don't want to fly on a Friday the 13th. Your superstitious boss usually avoids important meetings and the whole day there's a little small part of you that's just waiting for something strange to happen. So why are we like this? Whether you're superstitious or not, you can't escape the chatter circling the spookiest calendar date. Why 13? The fear of 13 Triskaidekaphobia, as it is called, dates back centuries and may originate from the Code of the Hammurabi. They reportedly left out their 13th law from their written legal codes. In reality, it was discovered that it was just an error made by one of the translators who simply omitted a line of text. Superstitions about Friday the 13th and the number 13 in general have persisted amongst history's greatest minds. 
the great Austrian-American composer Arnold Scheinberg had a severe case of triskaidekaphobia. He omitted the numbering of 13th measures in some of his later works, substituting it with the notation 12a. He was also reportedly deeply afraid of dying on a year or at an age that was a multiple of 13. When he turned 76, a colleague suggested it might be an unlucky year because 7 plus 6 equals 13, and he died that year. Wait for it, folks. He died on the Friday the 13th of July, 1951. I guess there might have been something to his actual fear of the number 13, right? Wrong. It just happens. The article goes on to say that it is interesting to note the contrasting history of the number 12 with the number 13. We have 12 months in a year, 12 zodiac signs, 12 hours in a day, 12 hours in a night, and even the 12 days of Christmas. The prominence stemming from the historical influence of the New Testament of the Bible and other Judeo-Christian traditions. Even Scheinberg, the 13th's greatest enemy, was known for developing a 12-tone system of musical composition. So what about Friday? Why is the negative connotation associated with Friday the 13th specifically an issue? Well, the negative association with Friday specifically has a combination of religious as well as cultural origins. Many Christians believe Friday to be unlucky because it was the day of the week that Jesus was supposedly crucified. In the 14th and 15th centuries, prominent figures and writers started to publicly denounce the day with little context as to why. Chaucer's Canterbury Tales depicts Friday to be a, quote, day of misfortune, unquote. And playwright Robert Greene defined Friday face as a sad look of dismay or anguish. I'm going to step aside from the article for a moment and tell you that Friday is my favorite day of the work week because it is the end of the work week. Now back to the article. Why Friday the 13th? Unsurprisingly, we're not exactly sure of the historical evidence as to how Friday the 13th became synonymous with bad luck or superstition. There are many theories that date back to earlier centuries, but most of them to date have been completely debunked. The real Friday the 13th hysteria started in the 20th century. Many date this back to Thomas Lawson's book Friday the 13th, which is about a stockbroker who chooses this day to deliberately crash the stock market. A year later, in 1908, the New York Times became one of the first media outlets to acknowledge the superstitions of Friday the 13th. Later, much later, in the 1980s, the popularity of Friday the 13th movie franchise added to this cultural phenomenon. Now, is there any science behind the superstition? One in four Americans say they're superstitious. While the other three out of four Americans might scoff at this, there's actually psychological science to back superstition. Psychologists at Kansas State University say superstitions are all about trying to control your fate. People often use superstitions to try and achieve desired outcomes or to help alleviate anxiety. A perfect example of this is performers or athletes who perform specific and sometimes quirky rituals before a big event. Mathematician and author Joseph Mazur explains how having superstitions can actually promote a healthy and positive mentality. He says, quote, everyone wants luck, 
but since there's no tangible thing we can call luck, we have to create that tangible thing by transferring it to an object. People hold on to those objects as a sense of security, unquote. Aside from the article, I can tell you I'm a big fan of The Deadliest Catch with Mike Rowe and the Crab Fisherman of the Bering Sea. And you'll notice a couple of the captains have rituals that they perform in order to appease the crab gods, as they say. One rubs the head of a doll on the control panel of his vessel. Another one knocks a certain time, shaving a haircut two bits. Others do a strange, quirky crab dance on the deck of the boat. Some insist that you must throw a flaming hook to pick up the last pot of the season, and that if you miss the last pot at the end of this season, the next season is likely to be a money-losing season for you. Back to the article. A 2010 study conducted by psychologist Stuart Weiss tested a group of people on various memory tasks. The group of people who were allowed to carry their lucky charms with them performed better on the memory test than those people who had their lucky charms taken away. And we're not talking about the cereal here, folks. It's all about a low-cost confidence booster, according to Vice. By that logic, Friday the 13th should be just as lucky as it is unlucky, depending on your outlook. So instead of being scared on this eerie day, try incorporating some positive rituals in your life and see what happens. Very interesting article. Again, thank you to CNN contributor Marika Gherkin. The history and the luck associated with Friday the 13th. This is the Truth Hurts program, and we'll be right back. And we all know that we're now sliding into the holiday season here in the old good old USA. And as such, the thought of time off from work and vacations comes into play. It's kind of interesting, other countries. Remember, when you're born here in the U.S., everything is rah, 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 red, white, and blue, good old U.S. of A. And every other nation in the world is supposedly some backwoods, third-world country, and they don't have any idea what goes on at all. Well, let's talk about America as it ranks in terms of paid vacation time. This one will probably blow your mind, folks. Vacations in the United States are not mandated by law. There's no statute, there's no rule, no regulation, no law, no ordinance, no order that anyone is entitled to vacation. That's not the case in other countries. Advancements in employee relations have led to the introduction of legal agreements for many entitlements for employees to enjoy paid vacations as well as public holidays. Now, some companies offer more days off for employees depending on which sector they work in. Similarly, different organizations may differ with the law on whether or not public holidays are to be considered part of the minimum leave practice of a business. In a majority of countries, workers get paid during public holidays and for days that are not part of the minimum vacation day requirement. Total days of paid leave. The number one country on planet Earth. Who do you think it is? Kuwait. The country of Kuwait. 
total days of paid leave, including vacation time and public holidays, 43 days per year. I'm going to quickly go down the names of the countries and the number of total days of paid leave that they get each year, and this will astound you. Kuwait gets 43, Cambodia gets 42, the country of Georgia in the former Soviet Republic, 39, Austria, 38, Malta, 38, Syria, 37, Tanzania, 37, Yemen, 37, Bahrain, 36, Finland, France, Iceland, and Spain all get 36 days paid holiday every year. Afghanistan, Luxembourg, Madagascar, Portugal, Slovakia, Djibouti all get 35. Azerbaijan, Cyprus, Gabon, the Ivory Coast, Lithuania, Niger, Peru, Sweden all get 34 days per year. Algeria, Angola, Croatia, Cuba, the Czech Republic, the Dominican Republic, the country of Guinea, Hungary, Poland, Romania, and Zimbabwe get 33 days off with pay every year. Albania, Armenia, Bulgaria, Italy, Panama, Russia, Senegal, and the South Sudan, as well as the United Arab Emirates get 32 days each year. And rounding out the top 50 or so is New Zealand, Estonia, and the country of Oman, who get 31 days off per year. But Steve, what about the United States? Well, in the good old U.S. of A., there is no mandate that requires a single day off with pay. Not a single solitary one. Now back to number one on the list, Kuwait. Workers in Kuwait are entitled to the most days of paid leave mandated by law on the planet. Workers in Kuwait are entitled to 30 paid vacation days a year when they work a five-day week. They also get 13 paid public holidays, which adds up to a total of 43 days of paid leave every year. In addition, after two continuous years of work with the same employer, workers are entitled to an additional 21 days of paid leave to perform certain religious rituals if it is the first time they are doing so. In Cambodia, former Vietnam, they're ranked second on the list with 42 days of paid leave. They're given 27 days of paid public holidays throughout the year, plus 15 vacation days for a total of 42. Then, vacation days are mandated to increase by seniority. You get one additional vacation day for each year, excuse me, for each three years of continuous employment. Austria, well, they get 13 public holidays and 25 days of annual leave. There are conditions, however, that can see an employee receiving more leave days. Employees with over 25 years of working experience, for example, they get 30 days off per year. Other employees who get additional days off are those who work strenuous jobs during the night hours. People who work on public holidays are given extra vacation days or the option to take twice their daily wage. It's incredible 
when you think about it. Australia, right next door to New Zealand, remember New Zealand gets 33 total, Australia gets 30 days per year, 20 in the Bahamas, 44 in Bahrain. There uh, is the country of Belarus, which gets 29. Belgium gets 30. This, this is incredible. I will tell you that, uh, meanwhile, back here in the United States of America, there is no federal or state statutory minimum paid vacation or paid public holidays. Paid leave in the U.S. is at the discretion of the employers to its employees. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, 77% of private employers do offer paid vacations to their employees. Full-time employees earn an average of about 10 vacation days after a year of service, plus their weekend off. Similarly, 77% of private employers give their employees paid time off for public holidays, on average eight holidays per year, while some employers offer no vacation at all. The average number of paid vacation days offered by private employers is 10 days after a year of service, 14 days after five years, 17 days after 10 years, and 20 days after 20 years. That's a nationwide average, but it is not mandated in our laws. And if the gropey Joe Biden Camelto Harris team gets into office and puts Beto O'Rourke in charge of gun control, this is what you might hear in the very near future. The following is a required announcement of the new United States Socialist Government. You are cordially invited to immediately voluntarily surrender all of your rifles, shotguns, handguns, and ammunition. You must take these items to your local Beto O'Rourke Gun Collection Center. Failure to comply within 30 days will force the new regime government to deploy search and recovery teams to obtain your guns with or without your consent or approval. We strongly encourage you to hand over your guns voluntarily. We can assure you that it will be less destructive for you and your family. Resistance is futile. This message was paid for with your increased tax dollars. Thank you for your donation. And finally today, on your Friday the 13th, why not? Let's give you a little bit of potentially bad news. I hear the fat lady warming up in the background. In the green room, she's practicing her scales, and I think she's probably getting ready to sing. According to The Hill, the lawyer who argued for Bush in the year 2000's election against Gore says he does believe the election is over. Ted Olson, or Theodore as he likes to be called, the lawyer who argued George W. Bush's case to the Supreme Court in the 2000 election, says he feels the 2020 election is now over and the nation will have a new president named Joseph R. Sleepy, creepy, mopey, dopey, gropey Joe Biden in January. Olson said during a panel hosted by the Federalist Society, in accordance with an article from the National Law Journal, Quote, the framers, they separated the powers because they knew that individuals would be flawed. They put in lots of checks, and we just experienced one called the election. To the extent that the citizens of this country did not like the manner in which President Trump spoke, or the manner in which he threatened people, or the manner in which he executed the laws, they exercised their franchise. And we have, I do believe, the election is over. We do have a new president. 
Multiple news outlets prematurely called the presidential race in Biden's favor last Saturday. But the president, Donald Trump, has refused to concede the race as his campaign has launched a series of lawsuits in multiple states. Trump and his allies have made allegations of voter fraud, but Biden apparently leads by tens of thousands of votes in some of those key states. Although recently, the entire business about a fraudulent elections software in Dominion may still give Trump a last-ditch effort to take the presidency. On Thursday evening, the Election Infrastructure Government Coordinating Council and the Election Infrastructure Sector Coordinating Council, whoever the hell they are, said in a joint statement that this election was the most secure in American history. Well, I don't know who the hell they are and where they're getting their information, but based on what is being sent in by multiple sources, not just one, not just two, not just five, not just 20, but hundreds of people claiming they have witnessed and are willing to sign affidavits to the effect that there was widespread voter fraud kind of makes me wonder where this group is getting their information. The groups said in a joint statement, Right now, across the country, election officials are reviewing and double-checking the entire election process prior to finalizing the result. There's no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or in any way was compromised, according to this group. Emily Murphy, a Trump appointee who oversees the GSA, has refused to acknowledge Biden as president-elect thus far, preventing the team from beginning multiple aspects of the transition. Murphy's acknowledgement of Biden as president-elect would give the team access to millions of dollars in federal funding for salaries, consultants, and travel, as well as the ability to meet with current government officials and to be briefed on intelligence, as well as the ability to begin occupying federal office space. It ain't over till the fat lady sings, and even though I hear her warming up in the background, she has not been called to the stage. The Electoral College has not voted. And right now, Donald Trump is still your president. That's going to do it for this edition of the Truth Hurts program. I hope you have a great and wonderful weekend. Mine will be filled with sprinkling some of Jonathan's ashes at one of his favorite places on Earth. After all, he was a pirate. The Renaissance Festival. I'll be there Saturday, followed by a memorial mass at his alma mater high school for deceased alumni. They do that every year, and I never thought I would be one attending one of those ceremonies. But anyway, whatever you do this weekend, make it worthwhile. Make it something enjoyable, something that you will cherish, and those around you will remember for years to come. This is the Truth Hurts Program. We'll see you next time. I, I'm not sure I can get it up in time. My vote, that is. I'm having problems in the voting booth, if you know what I mean. I'm not used to having someone watch directly over my shoulders when I, you know, do it. I used to be able to do it several times without any problems. Now I can't. Does this sound like you at election time? Perhaps you need medical help. Votalis may be just what you need. 
What about an election that lasts more than four hours? How about one that lasts more than four days? What's a man to do? Vote Alice is for elections lasting more than 24 hours and may cause sleeplessness, changes in mood, hissy fits, nervousness, nausea, vomiting, uncontrollable anxiety, weight gain, inability to perform, and other side effects. Ask your election official if Vote Alice is right for you. Now that I've found Vote Alice, I don't care when the election gets resolved. Thanks, Vote Alice. Thank you for listening to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. This is the College of Common Sense at the University of Universal Understanding. We hope that you have learned something worthwhile from today's presentation, and we invite you to share it with family, friends, co-workers, and even those you do not particularly care for. Programs like the Truth Hurts with Steve Z are amongst our most cherished rights in a, so far, free nation. Let us hope that freedom can be continued. This program is protected free speech under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. This recorded work is copyright 2020 and is the property of Steve Knight Productions, all rights reserved. The Truth Hurts program is produced at Studio 63 in association with Steve Knight Productions and background music is provided by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Again, we thank you for listening. <laughs>